the last two times I've spoken anywhere, the feedback was, you were very energetic, enthusiastic. I said, okay, I can take that. When you got good news to share, you should be enthusiastic. All right? <laughs> but don't let my enthusiasm keep you from hearing what I'm actually saying, okay? Don't get distracted by uh, the energy sometimes. I get the adrenaline going, and I don't know what to do, okay? So uh, you're in for something today. I'm not sure. Uh, <clears throat> we've been going through uh, a series on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, <clears throat> looking at the, the book of Ezekiel. Fortunately... Josh did the first two messages on the bad and the ugly, and I get the good, so I get the easy part, and, uh, but Josh has done a masterful job on bringing the bad and the ugly. The first one was on sin, the second on judgment. When he did the uh, sin, the ugly, I told him, you, did a, you handled the ugly beautifully. I thought he did a great job. And then he came back with judgment, a very hard subject. But he, handled, but he handled it in the, in the attitude through, through which God extends his judgment. With patience. He talked about the patience and the desire of God for everyone to repent. This is not what he wants to do. That's what uh, Sherry read this morning. I, I don't rejoice in the death of the wicked. But so repent. He's, has been, he's been patient, patient, patient. And so... Uh, that is a story, and sometimes we get hung up on that. We get hung up on, we think that God is harsh in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. And all, but what God is, is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. Amen. And when we drop the ball, when we break the covenant, when the, when the covenant we said we entered in with Christ or with God lays in shambles all around us, he still keeps his covenant. Amen. And even if that means judgment, that he's going to keep his word. And a lot of people thought that God's testimony was going to be tainted because of what he was going to do to the children of Israel because of their disobedience. And I'm going to tell you, it was not just normal disobedience. It wasn't shoplifting at the store. It wasn't a white lie. It was de- 22 times in the book of Ezekiel It says, it's because of your detestable practices. Detestable practices. Not just one time detestable thing. Detestable practices over and over and over again. Child sacrifice uh, was part of that. And it had permeated, permeated the land of Israel. And not only that, they were doing it in the very temple of God. And it was a detestable thing, and God still was pleading with them, don't repent, please repent, because I I don't want to do this, but I am a covenant keeper. You have broken covenant. You have broken the promise. You have lived your life the way I've told you not to live, but I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. And you know what God says? And I'm going to do this so that everyone will know that I am the Lord. He's going to do it so that everyone will know that I am the Lord. It's not going to taint his name to keep his covenant. What would taint his name is not keeping his covenant with with his people. So he says, I'm going to do these things for my name's sake, not for yours. And you know what the miracle is? God's name did get exalted. God's name did get, it got known all over the world. God 
brings destruction. I'm probably getting way ahead of myself on this message, all right? But uh, God brings destruction of Jerusalem and the temple when they thought there's no way that God is going to destroy the temple and Jerusalem because that's where he dwells. That's his place. There is no way. It doesn't matter what we do. God's not going to do that. And God surprised him and did it. Destroyed his own temple. Destroyed his own city. Why? For his own name's sake. And you know what happened? And it's kind of reminiscent of the prayer that Joseph just prayed when he talked about the gospel coming down and people being persecuted and scattered. And what did it do? It spread the word of God. Now this, in judgment, these people were spread all over the world, all over the place, scattered, it says, in the word of God, scattered around the world. And, uh, and because of that, God's name was going out. And it wasn't because they were doing good, but it was because God actually went with them and proved himself strong. So when we see Daniel in the lion's den, God is there, and Darius the king sees it. When you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, God is there, and Nebuchadnezzar sees it. And then they start writing to the whole people, not the God of Israel, not the God of the Jewish people, but the God of heaven and earth. This God of the Jews is the God of heaven and earth. And they start proclaiming his name around the world. They're writing letters. Nebuchadnezzar does it. Darius does it, Artaxerxes does it, Xerxes does it. They write letters to their whole empire saying, honor this God, the God of heaven and earth. What we think is disaster, God brings for his good and his glory. It's amazing. It's amazing what God has done. Now, let's go. Now, let's get into the sermon. All right. <laughs> I'm supposed to be talking about the promise. And uh, I get this job of talking about the promise. You know, I was thinking about promises. I was thinking about times in my life. It seems like every time I get up here to preach, I have to talk about the year of 2013 that Patty and I had. It was one of the hardest years of our life. And we had moved from Atlanta, felt God called to move from Atlanta in 2010 uh, to Denver. And uh, from between 2010 and 2012, 2013, it seemed like everything we did had turned to disaster. Every, every bad thing could possibly happen and was happening to us. And we were, you know, we left uh, financially under-resourced, but we had faith, you know? <laughs> and we made the journey, and we stayed in that poverty for a while. There was mental health issues in our family that surfaced and was a very difficult time for us. There was uh, just meaningless work, hard work at the airport, it seemed, uh, just that we had to go through. We had relational problems. Patty, my beautiful wife, the first, I, never, I didn't even think this was possible, but I woke up one day, I, could, I, might, be, I might lose her. I could lose her. It entered my mind. I didn't think that could ever enter my mind. But relationally, we were getting bankrupt as well. And I was just, it was just, a, we were, and we were undergoing spiritual warfare. We didn't even know it. It wasn't until we figured it out <laughs> that we did something about it. But we were getting battered, and it went for a long time. 
from tw- in, in the middle of 2013, it had reached its peak, and I didn't know what to do. And I went to the Word of God, and I said, God, I need, I need a word from you. And this is what he gave me. He gave me this verse. This is the first place I looked, Psalm 27. I went and read it. In the last two verses of the book, and this is from the net. I was reading from this translation at that time. It said, where would I be? Where would I be if I did not believe that I would experience the Lord's favor in the land of the living? Rely on the Lord. Be strong and confident. Rely on the Lord. And that was a promise from God. He gave me a promise from God. And I, and I, I always said this, I hung my hat on that promise every day going out. And I shared it with Patty, and that became our verse. And it gave me hope. The, the power of a promise, it gives me hope that something's going to change. That things are not going to stay the same. It gives me a, the promise gives me strength to go on even when my circumstance haven't, hasn't changed. It told me that... Where would I be? I must keep believing. We were here by faith. We had trusted God. God said, where would you be if you did not believe? Where would I be if I did not believe? Yes, lost, nowhere to turn. And he says, if you did not believe that I would experience the favor of God in the land of the living, not when I get to heaven. I knew there's reward there. But right now in Denver, Colorado, Uh, at Steel Street Apartments, at Providence Bible Church, I would experience, Patty and I would experience the favor of God. And in 2014, sometime in 2014, we could breathe again. We could breathe. And God did what he said he was going to do. He brought us out. And we began to experience the Lord's favor in the land of the living. And we made it through. That's what the promise did for us. You know, I thought that was the hardest year. 2018 came after that. God wasn't through with hard times for us. But Patty, this month is, what, three years, four years? This month she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And and I'm telling you, I did everything I could. I did everything I could to keep her from going through that. And I can't ever talk about Patty's Patty's cancer without crying. But I went to the Lord in prayer and said, God, you have to spare my wife. Don't let her go through this. Don't let her go through this. And I couldn't stop it. I couldn't pray hard enough. I couldn't believe hard enough. I couldn't do anything to stop it. But you know what God did? God gave Patty a verse, a promise. And it's written, she wrote it on just a yellow piece of construction paper, and it's still taped to the wall in our bedroom. And it says, I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. I will help you. You know, I was over here praying and begging God to stop, and then she, he, gives, he gives Patty this first, and I'm thinking, what am I praying about then? If, <laughs> if this is the scenario, then what am I doing over here uh, praying that uh, this doesn't happen? Because God's pretty much saying it's going to happen, Ray. But I'm going I'm to hold Patty's hand. And you know what that said to me? This wasn't my promise. This is what God did. Because I couldn't 
I couldn't go with my wife through what she was going through. I could be there by her side. I could encourage her, but I couldn't go with her. But Jesus said, I will go with you. I will hold your hand and I will help you and I will get through. And so the promises were still, the promises kept us going. It kept us alive. It gave us hope. It said something is going to be changing. And I always think about this because I think you got to make sure whatever you're holding on is the promise is actually a promise from God. Don't hold on to something. If it's not from God, it's not a promise. It's a false promise. Be careful. Even some Christian songs, and I, I'm going to have to tell on a Christian song that I'm really irritated with right now. <coughs> it sounds like a great song of faith. And they sing, and I love this group. They have a lot of good songs, so I, I'm not going to stop listening to this group or anything. But when the song's on, they're saying, did God move every mountain? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. I'm, t- I'm here to say he did not move every mountain. He doesn't promise to move every mountain. Hang on to the promises that God actually gave you. He did not promise me to move every mountain. Sometimes I've, I've had to walk around and over too many mountains to, to uh, agree with that statement. My stars, I couldn't get this one to move, and I gave my heart and soul to move it, and I couldn't move it. So hang on to the promises that are actually from God. Those are the ones that are going to sustain you and keep you. So I want to tell you some good news. First, God never leaves his people without a promise. Never in the word of God will you ever see that God has left his people without a, a promise. You know when there wasn't a promise? In the garden. There was no need for a promise in the garden. It couldn't get any better than that. There was, no comp- there was nothing standing in the way to, f- to have the fullness of what God expected them to have. There was no promise. But as soon as the fall came, the first promise came. As soon as the fall came, the first promise came. Uh, the woman who had been assaulted by the devil, assaulted in the garden, had given in and fell into temptation. And God comes to her, your seed is going to crush that enemy's head. That was the promise. You're going to win. We're going to win this battle. You have an enemy and you fell, but your offspring, children you're going to bear, is going to bring this enemy down. And that was the first promise in the scriptures. So we didn't need it till the we didn't need a promise till we needed a promise. And now we always need a promise. Always need a promise. And there's been no time in the history of mankind that he didn't leave his people with a promise. They, everybody, they always had one. Now, we have a covenant-making, promise-keeping God. And with God, a promise made is a promise kept. A promise made is a promise kept. Believe, where would you be if you did not believe that a promise said is a promise kept with the Lord? Where would we be? If we couldn't trust that when God makes a promise that he would actually bring it to fruition, we would be lost. We wouldn't know where to turn. Where, there, where, where would be solid ground that I could stand? And so these promises came. And I want to tell you something. God's, God's a promise-keeping God and a covenant-making God. And uh, Josh talked a lot about the covenant uh, the last couple of weeks and how God made the covenant. And you know what? God didn't need to make a covenant. All he, did, all he needed to do was make a promise. A promise given is a promise kept with God. He didn't need to make a covenant on top of that, but he did anyways. 
Why? To assure you that he means what he says. I'm going to bind myself to these promises by making a covenant with you. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that, our, that these promises are so great that he bound us with a covenant and an oath. A covenant and an oath. A covenant and a promise. He's saying, this, what I say, is going to come true. Amen. Bank on it. Hang your hat on it. Lay down and rest on it. Close your eyes and sleep on it. Let God come through in his promises. Now, I've got more good news. I, I just got all good news today. All right? So, more good news. Here's the thing. Oh, dang. I'm out of time already. Um, <clears throat> here, here's the thing. With God, um, okay, now I forgot what this very important thing I was about to tell you. I just forgot. All right. <laughs> good news. Good, okay, good news. Thank you, Kev. Thank you for that. The prompter, my teleprompter is working over there. All right. The good news is that the promises I'm going to talk to you are no longer promises for us. It is good news. That's what the good news is. The promises that we're talking about in the book of Ezekiel are no longer promises for us. Why? Because they are our present reality. They are the things that already have. We're not waiting for them to happen. We're not praying for them to happen. We're not hoping they're going to happen. They've already happened. It's already true. It's already come about. I'm not, we're not stuck. This is, these, are not, these aren't our promises. They are our reality. And we read the story of the dry bones. The dry bones, what an amazing story, the dry bones. And I picked the, the story of the dry bones because it best illustrates what God is actually doing in this world. Best illustrates how, what the power of God coming into the lives of men, what that actually does for us. We were dead, but now we're alive. We had hearts of stone, but now we have hearts of flesh. And this is the promise I want to talk about. There's actually three promises I'm hoping to get to very quickly, all right? <laughs> But in chapter 36, the chapter before the dry bones, he tells of this prom promise. And he says, in 36, starting with, oh, I brought these glasses for a reason. Yeah. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from your heart of stone and uh, uh, move, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, to be careful to keep my laws. This is the promise given to Ezekiel that is our current reality, that we actually get a new heart, and not just a new heart, but a new heart that he puts his spirit in. Right in us. It's amazing. It is amazing. And I'm hoping I'm going to show you the amazement of all that all right, today. Because I want to take us on a little journey. Because you know what Ezekiel's about? Ezekiel is about the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is about the movement of the Spirit of God. How, the, how God is moving. Um, I recently have been going through the Star Wars movies in sequence. Yes. I've done episode one, two, and three. I've done Han Solo, Rogue One, and now I'm in the very first uh, Star Wars, which is episode, what, five, four. Yeah, I'm losing count. Episode four, 
So I'm, I'm there in episode four, the, the original movie that I saw in 1978 when I was 18 years old at the theater. And even though I was going to a Christian school, they told me I couldn't go to the movies. I saw it 10 times. All right? Because <laughs> I loved that movie. It was, it was amazing. And I'm sitting here ready to preach, and all I could hear was, use the force, Ray. Use the force. And, uh, <laughs> and I want to tell you something. Do not, even though there's some similarities between the force and the Holy Spirit, don't confuse the force with the Holy Spirit. The force is not the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other religion they're teaching over here. They have some similarities, but don't confuse the two. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit wins every time against the force. All right? <laughs> it's the victory. <laughs> He'll have the victory, the Holy Spirit. But this is the Holy Spirit. This is what we're trying to learn, how to, how to navigate the Holy Spirit. And even in the book of, in, in those movies, it's very important to know the whole story. When we get in that story, uh, that we first saw in 1978 when it came out. We only know that story. But we didn't know there was a whole story before then. And sometimes we need to know the story before that to really understand our place in, in that. So I want us to take on a very quick journey, and I'm going to go fast, all right? <laughs> I'm going to go fast um, to, uh, to get through the, how the Holy Spirit has moved throughout the Word of God. And the first time we meet the Holy Spirit is in creation, in creation. I'm going to see. I don't remember what slide I had up here. Oh, there's a definition of a promise. A promise is a word, spoken, word from God spoken in the past when applied to our present difficulties ensures us of a better future. That's what a promise is. And that's what God is masterful at, making those kind of promises. All right? So we go back to the story. I started, really, use the force thing was kind of funny because I was trying to uh, write down all the verses I wanted to go through, trying to make slides for each one, and God told me, it was like telling Luke, lower the, lower the scanner, Luke, just trust the force to hit the, hit the target, because he was just saying, don't make any more slides, Ray. <laughs> Tell me, just, just trust that I'm going to get you through this part of the story, <laughs> all right? I'm going to make it. So we get to the first chapter of the Bible. The Spirit of God shows up, and what does it say? That the God, uh, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the, and the earth was void, formless, but the Spirit of God was moving, hovering, it says, on, on, the, on, the, on the deep, it says, over this chaos, the chaos that was the world at that time. And so the word is ruach, ruach, and it means spirit, but it's actually, there's three words that can be, spirit, breath, and wind. Spirit, breath, and wind. There's only a, a, another language, the Greek language. So the two languages chosen to write the word of God, the Greek language also has one word for those three words, pneuma for spirit, breath, and wind. And I've heard, I cannot verify this because I don't know all languages of the world, all right, that the, these are the only two languages that actually have one word to represent these three words. And in these three words... In Genesis chapter 1, we find all three of these realities, all right? We have the Spirit of God. And I want you to hang with me. And it says it's hovering on the water. I want to say that that's the wind, the wind. Later on in the, in the um, Noah's Ark, it says that the wind was blowing across the water after the water had rained. And I'm going to tell you that this picturesque of the Holy Spirit over chaos. Then we get into Genesis chapter 2 and what happens? He makes man and what happens? The breath, 
the breath appears, and he breathes into man life, the breath of life, and he gets life. And that's when the Spirit of God comes in. The next time the Spirit is talked about is in Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood. And he says, my spirit, my spirit will not contend with the hearts of men forever. But at this point, lawlessness, lawlessness had broken out and judgment was coming. They hadn't listened to him. And God was going to do something. And he sends the water again. Water covers the earth and the wind. And I'm going to tell you something. The spirit doesn't show up again. Capital S-P-I-R-T. Doesn't show up again for a long time in the Bible. It doesn't. You're not going to see the spirit. It doesn't show up. <laughs> he doesn't show up in that form. But the wind stays with the children of Israel with the story of God. And the wind comes and Noah's in the water and then the wind comes and what happens? There's a recreation that starts happening. The waters start to recede. And it almost follows the point by point what the creation story is. Suddenly the waters, then the dry land appears, then the birds go out and then the animals come out and last man comes out. And it's like God's doing something. He's changing things. He's recreating something. And the Holy Spirit has hovered over the chaos of the world right there and brought order out of it. And then we move on to the children of Israel. They're in bondage now in Egypt. I'm taking big leaps in the story, okay? <laughs> and that now they're trying to get out of, it, of Egypt and go to the promised land. And they come up against some water. Again, there's water. And where's the Holy Spirit? He's a wind. The wind's there, and it says the wind blows all night, doesn't it, PJ? But the, all night, you talked to me about this. That how did it take God all night to move those waters? But it says the wind blew all night and divided, and divided that so that they could walk across. And there was a pillar of smoke, which also represented the presence of the Holy Spirit, that went with them, and they were following it. So this wind, is following, it's following the children of Israel. And they get through that. God destroys the enemies. They get out into the wilderness. And now something different happens. God says, build a tabernacle for me. He said, now, I have built space for you. I've built, I've built Garden of Eden and, I, and asked you to fill it. I've, uh, built, I've commanded the building of Noah's Ark. And I said, I would fill it. And this is where he's shifting here. He's, he's telling us, build something and I will fill it. He says, you build a tabernacle now and I will fill it with my presence. And so in the middle of the wilderness, they make this tabernacle and the cloud of God, the spirit of God comes down on that place and they see the presence of God in the form of this cloud. But guess what? They're in a tent. They're in a tent. They're just camping. They're moving from one campsite to the next. The, tent, the tabernacle is a mobile worship center. They're just moving around wherever the, wherever the spirit guides them, wherever the cloud goes, they're following. And so they follow them into the promised land. And they start the conquest. And then we start seeing the Spirit show up. But how is the Spirit showing up? He's coming upon people, upon people. We get to the book of Judges. We, we don't like the book of the Judges, but a lot of times, a lot of us get uh, irritated with that cycle of what's going on in the book of Judges. It says, the, the Spirit of God came upon Othniel. The, the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. The Spirit of God came upon Samson. The Spirit of God came upon Jehoshaphat. So there was this movement of the Spirit to empower people to do what he wanted them to do. But still, they just have this tabernacle. They finally move into the kingdom, and God establishes the nation and establishes the kingly throne, the kingdom. They get firmly planted in the ground, and then what God say? You can build me a temple now. I'm not moving. We're staying here. 
We're coming up, build a temple. David can't build the temple. He gets all the resources. Solomon builds the temple, and what happens? The cloud comes down on the temple, and everybody sees it, and it's recorded in history. The cloud, the Holy Spirit has come down on this temple, and from that point on, they just turn from God. Turn from God. Story after story of them turning from God. And that's why when they come to the end, they're confident still that God's not going to destroy this temple because that's where God is. And that's when we get to Ezekiel. Now, if you read Ezekiel for the first time, you'll think you are in a Star Wars uh, thing. It starts out with four-headed creatures, with four different faces, with a bunch of eyes all over it. I mean, it looks like the bar scene at, uh, in, in Star Wars. And it's, got, and it's got some kind of mobile unit, wheels within wheels, some kind of UFO that's uh, just going all over the place. Yeah, you would think you're in a Star Wars movie when you start reading this. But God's doing something. He shows, he shows, he shows Ezekiel this. And I believe that Ezekiel is actually experiencing some of the things that we're experiencing, we, that we experience. Because twice in this, in this book, he says, the Holy Spirit came into me. And that has not happened in the whole Old Testament, that the Spirit of God actually came into somebody. But Ezekiel gets a glimpse into having the Spirit come into them, and it says it raises him up. Every time the Spirit came into me, and he raised me up. The Spirit came into me, and he raised me up. And so he gets to a glimpse of our reality. And so they're moving along, and God's showing him this thing uh, that he's saying, I've scattered my people, but I'm not, I'm not abandoned. I'm going with them. I think I've already talked about this. This is why I got ahead of myself. God's going with me, going with all his people. He scattered them all over. We know a few people. Daniel, Daniel was in Babylon. Ezekiel was in another town, Tel Aviv, on the Kabar River. Not sure where that is, but he's over there. Jeremiah is taken to Egypt. They're scattered in every direction. And now we see this thing that's pointed in every direction with eyes. And God's saying, I see everything. I see my people wherever they are. I'm going with them wherever they are. And he actually takes, takes Ezekiel with him back to Jerusalem. There's this uh, out-of-body experience, another Star Wars feature, I think. Uh, out-of-body experience, where he takes him back to Jerusalem, and he shows the Spirit of God departing from the temple. And now the question is, where is the Spirit of God going to land? Where is the Spirit of God going to land? And guess where it lands? In the hearts of each one of us. The hearts of men said, I'm going to take, I'm not going to build another temple for myself. I'm not establishing another city. I'm going to plant my kingdom in your heart, my spirit in your heart, and that's going to be your reality, your reality. And that's what happens. God goes on through the, through the story. Jesus comes on the scene and says, uh, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the spirit to you. Pentecost comes, and the spirit comes down on the people and fills them, and, and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then... Uh, we get into Corinthians, and Paul writes, everybody who's in Christ is a new creation. A new creation. How many feel like new creations today? <laughs> All right, a few of us. And I wonder this sometimes. Why don't, we, why don't we feel like new creations when God's telling us we're new creations? And I've got some theories. <laughs> One is, I think we 
look at our flesh more than we look at our heart. We let our flesh and what it's doing define us rather than what God did in our heart be our true identity. And so we easily yield to this flesh image of ourselves and don't see what God is actually doing in our lives, the Spirit of God in our hearts. God did something new. It's brand new. This is another thing. There's another Christian song out there that talks about you're going to get a resurrected heart. No, you don't get a resurrected heart. God's done with his heart. He's giving you a new car, a new, a new car. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. <laughs> He's giving you a new heart. He's not a, you don't get a refurbished, same old heart that's been cleaned up. Listen, if I trade in my, if I say I'm going to get a new car, I don't take my car down there and get a new paint job and bring it back out and say, here's my, this is a brand new car. It's still the same old car, just has a paint job. Still, it's still the same old thing. No, God says he's done with this heart. It's not resurrected. It's not restored. It's not regenerated. It's brand new. And it has the spirit of God in it. And God says, Jesus taught this. He said, listen, what I'm about to do is going to require something new. A new wineskin for a new wine. Your old wineskin can't hold what I want to do in your life. And it's time for us to engage those new hearts. A lot of us still think we have a sickly, dead heart. We still think that's the heart that defines us. But God says, no, that you're the Spirit of God. And, and if you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, don't trust your heart. Amen. It'll deceive you. But if you are a believer today, you should be tuning in to your heart. Because why? The Holy Spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where the voice of God resides. I should be trying to listen to what my heart. David said in the Psalms, my flesh and my heart fail me. But God remedied the heart. And now we come in, all we're doing with is the flesh now. We still have to deal with that old flesh. And a lot of people wonder, what is the, what is the big deal about the new heart? I still sin. Right, God didn't put a computer chip in you. He didn't reprogram you. He gave you the Spirit of God, and there are secrets to the heart, the new heart and the Spirit. Did you know there's secrets to learning how things work? Did you know that? Jesus even said it. He said, to you have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. Do you understand the secrets of the kingdom of God? There's secrets to this new heart. Patty gave me a sword one year as a gift. That was a big ship, wasn't it? <laughs> Patty gave me a sword. I wanted a sword. I wanted to be Aragorn in the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings. I thought I was Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings. Um, I wanted a sword, and Patty got me a sword. It was a beautiful sword. It had a sword, a, a, a star of David on it. It had a blue hilt. And Oh, man, if you come to our house, it's in a case above our couch. Uh, it's, it's there, yes. Um, and, but you know, what, you know what happened when I got that sword? Nothing. <laughs> I put it in the closet. I didn't know what to do with the sword. I put it in the closet and it was stayed propped up in the back of my closet for years before we moved here. And then one day, God said, well, we were at community group at the Stiles. And uh, as we were taking prayer requests from uh, different things, and we were in the middle of 2013 when everything was going bad, and I saw a vision. God gave me a vision at that moment. And what he told me to do is he says, go get your sword. 
get your sword. So I went home, realizing that there was an enemy attacking not only my daughter, but my friends. And I took that, I didn't know, still didn't know what to do, but I took that sword into our office, and I just held it. And I held it, I took it out of his sheath, and I held it. I said, God, I'm going to be here every night, and I will cut the chains from, that are holding back my daughter and my friends. I will cut the chain. I called it tentacles. I saw this octopus that was embracing all my friends and just trying to squeeze the life out of them. And I said, I'm going to cut the tentacle of insomnia. I'm going to cut the tentacle of anxiety. I'm going to cut the tentacle of loneliness. I'm going to cut this. And I just started cutting, going through the motions. I was doing it. <laughs> I was doing it all by myself in my room. And uh, in the room there, and my daughter's back here, and I was praying for her, and almost immediately, she was dealing with insomnia, and almost that same night, she slept all night. Now, it didn't stay, did it right here? <laughs> we still had a lot of fighting to do, uh, but I stayed in that space. I stayed in that space until God told me I was done. But I didn't know how to use that sword until God told me how to use the sword. The new heart, you have a new heart, and the spirit is in it. And there are secrets of using that new heart. And I know we say, well, Ray, why don't you tell us the secrets? Because we always want to make what God, how God wants to use us into a formula, formulaic. But it's relational. God wants to show you how to use your heart. I can help you. I can give you the experience that I've had. And if any of you want to come and talk to me afterwards and say, hey, I'd like to... I'd like to learn more. I'd like to go on a journey of the heart. I'd like to see, see me. We can, we can figure something out. Because I believe that this is one of the messages of my life. God has been teaching this over 10 years to me. And I believe it's one of the messages that I want to give to people. Like I said, I can't, I can't, they are, I'll share how, what God has done for me. And I tell you that it will set you free. It will set you free. There are many other things, promises. So that's what happened. That's our reality. That was in 30, 37 is the, the Valley of Dry Bones. 36 is where he talks about the new heaven and the, the new heart. We get a new heart and the spirit in us. Chapter right before that, no, 34 talks about something that has to happen before this promise comes true. And it's a prophecy that Jesus, the good shepherd, will come. He says, I'm tired of these shepherds. And you know what I'm going to do? Here's my promise. I'm going to come and personally shepherd my sheep. I'm going to seek the lost. I'm going to seek the saved. I'm going to bind up the wounded. I'm going to help my sheep. And I'm going to be their shepherd. He said, I'm going to send my prince from the, from the uh, throne of David, one of David's offsprings. I'm going to send them and they will be, that person is going to be your shepherd. And that shepherd is going to give his life for you in order to make this other promise come true. And that promise is our reality. We have a good shepherd. That good shepherd came, and that good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. And then, just in closing, there was three things. A new heart in God's spirit, got himself as our shepherd. And then, in chapter 33, he talks about breaking generational curses. Amen. And what's he saying there? He's breaking generational uh, generation curses are broken and individual freedom is preserved. Meaning, we're not bound by our old ways anymore. We're not bound by what's been passed on to us. God says, I'm breaking those chains. And now each one of us can decide. 
You can, you're free to choose today. Do you want what God has to offer? Do you want the current reality that's available to you right now? A new heart with the Spirit in you and a good shepherd to lead you in your life? Would you want to take those today? Would you want to step into that reality and get out of your old dead world that you've been in? Your, your lack of guidance world? There's something new God wants to do in you today. And today is the day you can make that decision. So I, I ask you, I plead with you, if you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, make today that day. Use the personal freedom that God has preserved for you to choose a new heart and a new spirit in you. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, there's so much, so much in your word that we can't even get to. But I pray that you will do what only you can do and allow the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray you'll draw all people to yourself. Be our Lord and Savior. Let us be a community of people who have new hearts with the Spirit and know how to engage that new heart for your kingdom. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.